like him slaughter the woman he loved and then hang himself? Well, I don't know. Human mind. Yeah, a research project on suicide with a researcher commits suicide. Don't go inside. Someone's in here, Mommy! Away from the door. No, I will. Don't worry, Bobby. I'll get you out. Why? Who's there? Who's in this house? Doctor Freudstein. No, Bob. You should have listened to what I said. Jared McVeigh from Island of Blood, a.k.a. Whodunit, and you're listening to The Hysteria Continues. And indeed you are. Welcome back. This is episode 286, and this time we're heading to that house by the cemetery. And we were joined uh, by a long-term friend of the show, Leo Dean. Uh, how are you doing, Leo? Good to have you back on the show. We are just discussing before we started. This is your third time you've joined us, so uh, always uh, good to have you aboard. I'm happy to be here as always. I'm looking forward to discussing this film. Um, I'm very curious to see what you guys think about it because I know it. You know, some people have problems with it and stuff. But if I'll, I'll go to my grave defending this and including Bob's voice. Ah, well, that's fighting talk. Perhaps we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's kind of. Is this the first that we've done the New York Ripper? Haven't we? I think yes. Uh, is that the only Lucio Fulci title we've done? Have we done Murder Rock? Oh, no, we did Murder Rock, didn't we? I think. Yeah. Um, but we haven't done any of his 70s, 60s uh, Jali yet, but uh, maybe that's to come, hopefully. So, but Eric, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I recognise that voice. Mm. So, uh, yes. Well, don't stand the too girl close in to it. the picture kept telling me not to go to that house. <laughs> <laughs> don't stand too close to any doors eric <laughs> i won't you see what you've unleashed leo <laughs> yeah i'm sorry no that's okay we should make for a fun discussion so um nathan how are you doing i'm on leo's side uh because let me tell you something if something's coming up after me in the basement like dr fruitstein or whatever like i'm gonna be screaming for my mom too what you, well yes this is just like the worst like house to live in so, except if you're Justin, well, maybe not with a murderer downstairs, but uh, but um, but uh, well, we'll get on to the main pick shortly. But Joseph, are you, you how are you doing? I'm I'm good, actually. Yeah, good. Cool. Excellent. Well, that's good. And I'm good. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing this one. It's the first time. Well, it was the first time watching me, but um, not dis- discuss it. But it's the first time I've seen it in high definition uh this this go around so uh yeah we'll be talking about that a little bit later but obviously in time on a tradition we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been watching recently so uh as our guest leo uh, do you want to tell us about anything you've seen or or read um the only thing i really seen recently was the new evil dead movie um i know you guys discussed it in the past couple shows throughout uh, the last couple episodes I liked it. Um, I didn't love the movie. I liked it better than the 2013 
uh, version, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I, I felt it was really missing Bruce Campbell. I think Joseph had said that as well. Um, but I mean, it's uh, it's good. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna buy it for the collection, you know, because I'm a completist. But um, there were things I liked about it, things I didn't like about it. Um, I thought the pacing was a little off. Um, I did like the uh, the setting though. I thought it was pretty good, you know, the way it was set up and stuff. But um, you know, it, it's you know the other movies. Well, for me, it's always going to be the first one. You know, the first one to me is the most you know scariest. Um, this one, I don't feel like it was scary, scary, you know, but that's about all I could say about it. I think that's kind of the consensus we had really, wasn't it? That we, uh, I think we all preferred it to the 2013 version. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I actually okay. hadn't seen it yet. Ah. It was part of my recently seen as well. Oh. Um, but yeah, I finally got around to watching it as well and, um, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was fun. Um, it is kind of missing something, you know, that the originals had. I don't know if it's just nostalgia or whatever for me, but um, I still really enjoyed it. it. It's very gory. It's not super dour like um, the remake. Um, although, again, I, I do like the remake. So, you know, just um, making sure that everyone out there knows that I'm, um, you know, not insulting it in any way. Just saying that I thought that this one had a little bit more of a playful kind of tone to it, um, especially with the taunting from the dead to the living. Like it just seemed a lot more like they, the dead were having fun. And I prefer the evil dead to have fun in my evil dead movies. Well, you said it's very uh, equal opportunities of you. Nathan. Yeah, you're very kind to the Evil Dead. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, hey, in the original, uh, when they awakened them, the Evil Dead even said, why have you disturbed our sleep? Mm. If they hadn't have disturbed them, they'd still be sleeping. Well, they literally did have friends and family as well, didn't they? Yeah, I know. Before they were dead. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, hey, you wake me up, you might be getting something like that as well. You know, oh, especially if mm. the nap has been probably... I mean, who knows how long they've been asleep? Ancient is what they say. So, yeah, it's a long nap. It'd be like sort of waking the rhubarb lady with it who's been slumbering for a long time. Haven't heard from her for a while. No. Well, the quizzes will be starting anew. Exactly, yes. So if you haven't heard, we are going to be citing the quizzes on Patreon. So uh, So expect this. You dirty nun fucker. (laughs) (laughs) So lots of that, yes. So uh, And Leo, you said you had some... um, the books that you'd read that you thought we might uh, people listening might be interested in. Yeah, I picked up um, this new book. Uh, it's the making of Creepshow Two. Um, oh, yeah. It's I thought yeah because I know you guys love the second one. Preferred mostly, I think, to the first one. For I remember that is that right on the Patreon? Didn't you all say that? More or less, I think some of us preferred the stories in the first more than the second. But for me personally, it was uh, a definite. Uh, love for the second film the raft is a real highlight for me i watched that yesterday actually i one of my once a year things uh so this guy also wrote a book making of uh, romero's day of the dead Uh, his name is lee carr but it's a gorgeous book it's about uh, like 29 dollars. it's full of color photographs um a lot of behind the scenes stuff Uh, there's scripts uh script pages uh corrections and you know, for the money though, it's really worth it. It's a nice, it's soft cover, and it's uh, it's definitely a recommendation. I've been skimming through it. I'm going to delve into it over the summer. And there's another book I noticed that I picked up. I saw on the, one of the message boards I was on. 
Um, it's called Sackhead, the Definitive Retrospective on Friday the 13th, Part 2. Now, when I saw that, I'm thinking, okay, well, we already had Crystal Lake memories. What are they going to talk about? But I got to say, like, just skimming through it, um, I, you know, and I know how much you guys love Part 2. And I know I just listened to your um, recent uh, commentary, which was fantastic. I think you all would enjoy this book. Um, it's under 20 bucks. Um, the foreword is written by uh, Bill Randolph, so that was my other recommendation. Any interest? Uh, I'm interested in the Creepshow 2 one for sure. I actually have Sackhead as well. <laughs> that sounds sounds like I have a disease. Um, uh, I wasn't that pushed on it. Uh, the, I thought the, the factual info behind the scenes was quite scant, and there's a lot of... Um, each character is... He does kind of a novelization of each character in each chapter. Um, so we get a little... Uh, you know uh, who uh, Scott was and why he's interested in Terry and you know a bit of his backstory and that I think which is fine maybe if you if that's what you wanted I wanted pure sort of factual stuff and, and there isn't a lot of it in the book I found but um, what is there is well written I thought uh, you know if you compare it to something like some of those uh, books like the Jamie Lee Curtis unauthorized biography, which was very poorly written and very repetitive. Um, this one, it, it seems like the person behind it has uh, some um, uh, journalistic nous, I suppose. But uh, yeah, well, awesome. that book wasn't for me. But the Creepshow 2 one, I'm just looking at here on Amazon now and I'm, I'm putting it into my basket because that one does look good. Uh, I mean, it, gives, it gives you a sample of some of the pages there as well. And it, it's... Uh, it looks quite tasty. So, yeah, I'm going to buy that one. Yeah, it's a beautiful book, uh, Eric. I think you'll definitely enjoy it. And um, while well, Joseph had uh, actually recommended, I, I saw on his uh, Facebook page, the huge slasher movie quiz book, which I immediately bought by uh, Killian H. Gore. Fantastic. Oh, that's where he's going to get all his questions from. I better buy that. No, I'm not, actually. <laughs> um, if you want to use the book for your questions when you get to the quiz, that's fine. But, yeah, that, now that Leo mentioned it, um, it is a good-looking uh, book. I haven't read all of it because there's so much in here. But, um, yeah, it's called The the Huge Slasher Movie Quiz Book. And he does thank us in the, um, or in the thanks page. And, I mean, there's so much, like, quiz stuff in here. I mean, I don't know how he compiled all this stuff. I mean, it must have taken him months, if not years, to put all this together. But I, I definitely recommend this if you uh, want a slasher movie quiz book. It's by Killian. That's K-I-L-L-I-A-N-H Gore. I'm amazed, too. Some of the questions are just like, you know, I'm scratching my head like, man, this guy really, really hit it out of the ballpark for this book, for sure. So the, the last book is actually a fictional book. I, I can't remember if you guys discussed this. It's been out for a while, The Final Girl Support Group. I'm halfway through it. It it pulled me in pretty quickly, but now it seems to be slogging on. And I do like the author, Grady Hendricks. He wrote a great book about um, retro horror paperbacks. Paperbacks from Hell, I believe, is the title. Um, this, you know, he's, he's definitely a fan. And what I, he does some things in there that I like, like each chapter He'll put like um, the final girls return. Like he'll make them like slasher titles for his chapters, referencing you know all the normal like Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Halloween, you know, which I thought was pretty clever. But I'm interested in the middle now, and it seems like it may be a tad too long. It's, it's about 340 pages. I figure maybe he could have did it. You know, I, I got to finish it before I, I don't want to slam it too bad. But I mean, you know, I think you guys might be interested, but not sure. 
Cool. Excellent. Well, some good recommendations there. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Leo. So uh, we'll come back and talk about your main pick shortly. Uh, but um, let's see what else we've we been watching. So Nathan, have you seen? You obviously saw Evil Dead Rise. Um, I watched Demon Wind. Oh, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I haven't seen it since I was younger, uh, so I couldn't remember a whole lot about it. But when I rewatched it, I'm like, this movie is terrible in all the best ways. But I mean, the effects are fun. And I think they did, you know, uh, they did decent for having a low budget. But man, the dialogue is just horrible. And like there's a scene in the movie where I mean, basically the movie revolves around this uh, guy who wants to go back uh, to his I think it's like his uh, grandparents old house or something. And um like, so he gets a group of friends and they go up there because he wants to discover who he is. And, you know, just that's kind of just your basic story. But once they get there, this demonic force traps them. It's kind of like an Evil Dead kind of movie, I guess, um, where the demonic force kind of traps them and they all start getting killed off one by one. Now, what I thought is hysterical is there's a scene in it where um, one of the girls who's freaking out, like literally gets turned into a doll right in front of all her friends, gets turned into a doll and then bursts into flames. And then in the scene right after that, the hero of the film goes, well, I don't think it's here to hurt us. I think it's trying to warn us. You know, you just watched <laughs> your friend mur- get murdered, but it's not trying to hurt you. Um, and there's also a great scene at the beginning where one guy's introduction to the movie is him doing magic and karate at the same time. So I'm like, that was a, a fun character introduction, but I won't say a whole lot because, um, just from watching it, I think we'd have a lot of fun covering this on Patreon at some point. So I'll kind of save a lot of my thoughts for then, but overall, yeah, very entertaining. I haven't. I'm aware of that movie, but I've not seen it. But Eric sounded quite enthusiastic. Yeah, I've, I have it on Blu-ray. Yeah, it's great fun. Yeah, and definitely worthy of a Patreon pick. Excellent. And uh, Leo, have you seen Demon Wind? I, I feel like I have seen it, but it's been so long. I'm definitely familiar with the title. I just looked at uh, the post the poster on my phone, and um, yeah, I, I've definitely seen it, but not enough to comment on it. Definitely interested now to rewatch it since Nathan's so enthusiastic about it. So yeah, thanks, Nathan. The VHS for it uh, used to have one of those hologram boxes where if you tilt it, like the demon's outside the window, then if you tilt it a certain way, it's busting through. I thought that artwork was so cool. Holograms rule. Mm. And and Joseph, have you seen it? I remember the box, the hologram box. I know um, Marquee Movies, Nathan, had that same box. Um, Demon Wind. Um, is that when Toya farts? <gasps> I did thought it sounded familiar. Was did she put an album with that name? Shut up. <laughs> did not have an album called Demon Wind. Yeah, I don't think I've actually seen it either. I do remember the box, you know, vividly, but no, I haven't seen the movie. Okay, well, thank you. And uh, anything else? Uh, no, that's all that I've had a chance to watch this time around, aside from our main pick. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you, um, uh, Joseph. How about you? Um. The only thing I can mention is um, I got talked into watching Yellow Jackets, that show on Showtime. Um, it's apparently a part of "quote unquote" prestige TV, and that's that's a a rant for later. I'll I'm sure I'll get. Oh, is that a term like uh, elevated yes, horror? Yes, and I hate it. Oh, and God. I said I was going to get to that rant later, but I might as well get it out of the way. I I hate those buzz terms like that, where you think something you watch is better. 
and you're better for it. Um, I hate that. It really bugs me. But, you know, I decided to watch Yellow Jackets and, you know, I like the premise of it. It really reminds me a bit of Lost where, you know, people get lost in a, uh, you know, stranded out in the wilderness or, you know, and they have to, you know, turned on, you know, have to have work together to survive. And there's all this kind of paranormal or supernatural activity going on around them. And then it cuts back into the present day where they try to lead normal lives after the, uh, uh, the, the whole plane crash there on that in the wilderness. But, um, boy, this show really drags. I mean, it really has gotten nowhere very slowly. I'm like on season two about halfway through and I could not tell you anything that's going on. It's that uninvolving. Now, the one thing I will say about it, and it's the only reason I keep watching is Christina Ricci. She is so brilliantly cast as this, as the adult, uh, Misty, I think her name is. She's so unrecognizable that you'd never think it was the same person who played Wednesday Adams in the Adams family movies all those years ago. I mean, she's so excellent that, I don't really care that I'm bored with the show. I just want to keep watching to see what she does. So I don't get the hoopla surrounding this show. I mean, maybe it speaks to someone else, you know, more. I mean, obviously it does. It's very popular, but I can't get into the show as a whole, but I'm going to keep watching for Christina Ricci. I've, um, I, has anyone else seen it? Cause I, I sort of, I'd heard about the buzz, but then I've seen quite a few people on my Facebook feed saying that uh, the second series goes completely off the rails. I've seen all of it, first and second mm. season. Um, I enjoy it. You know, I definitely do. But I will say that um, I think that it's probably one of those shows that would have been better if they had just made it one season and like had a beginning, middle and end of the story. Because I feel like as the second season kept going, it almost felt like they were just like scraping to try to come up with new storylines um for for the characters and i'm like i don't know i just i feel like especially like the the current because you know the the show is one of those shows that shows you like well this is the past and this is where they are now um and the current uh stuff um like joseph was saying christina ricci is amazing as misty and i love elijah wood and actually i like all the actors i think they're all like really good but um unfortunately i feel that the show just needs some kind of kick or something because like it does feel like it's kind of starting to tread water a little bit and it I mean, I don't know. It's 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 one of those shows that I do enjoy, but um, the quality has kind of decreased for me. Yeah, it's um, it's also in a way kind of like Lost, where the first couple of seasons of Lost or first three seasons of Lost really took its time answering some of its mysteries, and this one really doesn't have that excuse. I mean, it's only like uh, like ten episodes per per season, whereas Lost was like twenty four episodes. So I mean, it feels like they should really kind of get to it. By this point, yeah, I think that they're trying to just um, keep it going, but you got to have some fresh like storyline ideas. I'm still interested in what they went through at the after the plane crash, like that kind of stuff. I'm interested because some of the characters we don't know where they are now. If they're dead or alive, we have no idea. So, you know, there's some interest there, but overall, um, you know, like I said, I just I feel like it would have been better served to like have a end in mind. Right from the get go. Okay, well, Eric, I take it you've not seen it because no, I have heard not. the buzz though. Yeah, but I haven't yes. watched it. No, well, I'm kind of talking of prestige TV. I'm obviously I'm still watching the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. 
And um, I'm watching Toya's videos on YouTube, which is Prestige TV as well. Is there a VHS rip of Demon Wind on YouTube? <gasps> so Joseph, was there anything anything else? Uh no, that's that's all I can think of for this particular episode. Okay. Well thank you. Eric, how about you? Mm, no, nothing for me. Right. Well I've seen a couple of things. Um a couple of new movies on streaming. One was called Influencer, um, which I kind of really enjoyed. It was a uh, uh, as the title suggests, it's about um it's kind of a kind of pastiche of kind of um social media influencers. Uh, and I, I can't, don't want to give too much away, but basically the, the, the basic premise is uh, a woman's in Thailand and she's kind of um, a social media influencer. She's just like taking loads of photos and video of her like having at this big resort and drinking cocktails and having massages, but she's really bored by it all. So it's all kind of really false. She's not really into it at all, but she's just, um, you know, putting it on. And uh, she ends up... Um, uh, befriending somebody who uh, it turns out it wasn't a great idea uh, and gets uh, gets taken to a remote uh, island um, and uh, there's lots of twists and turns and various other characters come into it but uh, it's quite a it's quite a sort of a dark kind of uh, uh, sort of pastiche of that whole social media influencer thing and it goes it kind of t- turns into a slasher movie a couple of times there's a couple of scenes where it kind of turns into a bit of a slasher movie um but overall it's kind of more of a dark comedy thriller so has anyone seen that no i know okay i it's just come out just come out on streaming so um but uh, the other one i saw was uh Huesera, the bone woman it's a mexican new mexican horror movie um which is kind of uh, i kind of guess it's it's one of those um uh one of the many kind of pregnancy or kind of giving birth kind of horror movies uh and in this one there's a, a young woman who d- kind of doesn't really want to have a baby particularly but she feels that she's got to a time in life where it's kind of expected so she gets pregnant uh and um uh, her kind of past kind of catches up with her and uh, she's she becomes haunted by this this kind of apparition this kind of woman who um kind of kind of kind of creeps into her house and sort of uh, uh she keeps on seeing her and everyone thinks she's going crazy um so it's kind of like a almost like a mexican repulsion the uh, Catherine Deneuve movie from the Roman Polanski movie uh so it's got some similarities and it also has it's kind of more of a i can guess kind of a nod to those uh asian uh sort of movies that kind of followed the ring uh specifically those kind of films like uh, uh shutter and uh, the eye uh, with that kind of things, things happening in the background, so it's it's pretty good. It's not great. It doesn't. It's one of those films that doesn't quite go far enough. Um, but I enjoyed it. It's kind of it was interesting to see another movie in Spanish. So as I can speak a little bit of it now. So I, I kind of guessing I'd be surprised if anyone's seen that. But uh, chime in if you no, have. No, no. But what I did see, which I think I, you have seen, Joseph. I watched the first episode of From. Oh yeah. So I just to see, because I, I seem to remember you did recommend it, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I love the show. Um, the first season is excellent. I'm about halfway through the second season. I was going to wait mm. until the whole thing was done um, so I could binge it. But I, it got about five episodes released. And I was like, you know what? I really want to see what happens. So I'm halfway through the second season now. 
Okay, yeah, I kind of in, I enjoyed it. It's uh, it seems to be kind of it's got that Stephen King feel to it, isn't it? Mm. Kind of a kind of say cross Salem's lot cross with Under the Dome. Yeah, kind of seems to be the central premise. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a lot like Lost as well, and it even stars like I said, mm. Harold Perrineau from Lost. But um, what this show does better than Yellow Jackets is it answers a lot of its questions um, in fairly quick timing i mean within those 10 episodes so that's good and you get a lot of good scares like i said those those uh, things that come out of the woods at night you know they look human and they are human they're played by actors but there's just something very very sinister and creepy about them that i love and it's a very good premise for a show and the setup is just uh i think it's just really well done i i really recommend this show yeah i enjoyed it it kind of reminded me a little bit of um that the, the, the messiah of evil Mm, yeah, you know, the one the seventies flick with those kind of uh, the women in the town and there's all these kind of creatures or they all look like normal people but they're not. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably stick stick with that. So, and that uh, would be a good Patreon pick there, actually. Now that you mention it, sounds good. So uh, yeah, so I think that's everything I've seen apart from obviously um, uh, Brandy's just called Joyce the Big Fat Pig on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> so. Um, this isn't the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills podcast. We are going to be talking about something uh, arguably more horrific than that. Um, coming up, we're going to be uh, talking about Lucia Fulci's House by the Cemetery. So do we have a trailer, Joseph? Actually, we have a TV spot for House by the Cemetery, a very fantastic TV spot. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, and uh, well, we'll come in after this. In the house by the cemetery, what you don't know will hurt you. He has been awaiting the arrival of his new guests. One by one, they are disappearing. Before you get locked into this house, a redefined print you may have just mortgaged your life. House by the cemetery. No one under 17 will be admitted. So, yeah, that was the fantastic TV spot for House by the Cemetery. And there's more on that that I'll get to a little later in background. But this fantastic tale of the macabre focuses on the bizarre happenings that befall a young family as they take up residence in the House by the Cemetery. At first, Norman and Lucy ignore the strange tales their young son tells of a little girl who continuously warns him of impending danger. Then they too begin to experience unexplained problems and finally realize the power of the evil demon lurking within their home, only now it is too powerful to stop. In a small New England town, a wicked curse lives on. It will welcome you as you visit the house by the cemetery. And that was from the back of the old Vestron VHS release of the house by the cemetery. And as our guest, Leo, I'm going to let you go first and then I will chime back in afterwards. So your thoughts, please. Okay, let's just get into the thick of it. Let's get Bob out of the way. Um, I know the first, every time you, people discuss this film, that's the main focus. And look, I get it. I mean, the dubbing is, you know, it speaks for itself. I know it's not great, but in Lucio Fulci's world, I think it makes perfect sense because most of his movies are so bizarre that it just adds to the charm of the film overall. I mean, what's not to like here? You got, you know, you got slasher elements, you got uh, zombie type elements, you got atmosphere, you have music that is, in my opinion, one of the best soundtracks of all time. Um, I, I'm a soundtrack collector, so I've listened to a ton of them. And, um, you know, 
look, the, the movie the movie has so many things to love about it. I mean, there's stuff that makes you makes you makes you scratch your head, you know, as you're watching it. Like the one scene that always sticks out for me is, you know, after the real estate agent's killed and Anne, the babysitter, is wiping up the blood, and Lucy walks in, looks over her shoulder, she goes, "Oh, hello," or whatever she says, and then the babysitter turns around and says, "Oh, I made coffee," and Lucy never even acknowledges what she's doing, but. She, I'll mention in the background because I do have some stuff uh, about that scene that uh, Katrina McCall had uh, mentioned. But, um, you know, I mean, every, the, even the acting, I think, for a Fulci film, it's, it's, if you look at all his movies during this time period, because I guess this is part of his uh, renaissance and, you know, where he was at his best, you know, starting, I'll say, with the psychic um, going through. Um, even through New York Ripper and, you know, even after that, some things were hit or miss. I know, you know, that, that part of his career, but um, this film alone, I think stands, you know, right up there with all his other great works. Um, you know, um, I have a lot of background, but I do love this movie and, you know, I'll get into the background about more why I like it. But for now, I just want to hear what everyone else has to say. <laughs> Okay, thank you, Leo. Uh, for me, um, the house by the cemetery has, you know, you, you mentioned this that you wanted to get it out of the way first, and I don't know if I could move past it, but um, house by the cemetery has a serious Bob problem, and I I can't really fault the actor playing the kid. I mean, it's that laughably miscast voiceover used for his dubbing track that's the main issue, and it's obviously an adult female pretending to be a six year old boy. Which, you know, I'm sure has worked before or elsewhere, but here... Bart Simpson. Yeah, it worked with Bart Simpson, but here it it really reminds me of that episode of the Dukes of Hazard, where Danny Cooksey plays a little orphan boy who becomes enamored with Roscoe's dog Flash, and they used what sounded like this 80-year-old woman to dub his voice for some reason. And the kid was actually a good little actor. He was on different strokes, and he grew up to go to Salute Shorts and Terminator 2, and he's a respected voice actor now. So why did they dub his voice with an 80-year-old woman? And that's what I, that's the question I asked here. Is like, why did they dub his voice? I know it was in Italian. His, his language was in Italian, but they could easily have found a better voice voiceover artist. But, you know, that's the, uh, the conundrum that is Bob for House by the Cemetery. So I guess I will try to... Um, move past that but oh i can't because bob's unending whimpers and that whole mommy 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 help mommy they're so rampant throughout the film it's kind of like this constant name dropping thing where you could have a drinking game it's it's what i like to call the poltergeist 3 problem i know this predates poltergeist 3 but in poltergeist 3 they really pronounced it and i think that's kind of what put it into the zeitgeist was people calling out people's names incessantly um, it, you, it often outweighs the actual dialogue in the film. Um, so yeah, you will hear mommy, mommy, or Bob, 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 or Steve, Steve, and maybe a little less apparent Norman, Norman. Yeah. So house by the cemetery for me, I mean, I think it's a movie I find amusing more than I do, you know, like a good scare. I mean, I, I love those little, those, um, I guess those idiosyncrasies, I love those. And the 1981 color scheme here, it really takes me back. I mean, you have a lot of brown and so much beige. And there's even puke greens. I mean, one guy's wearing a puke green tie that I loved. 
And um, on the gore scale, actually, there's some really impressive stuff here, to be sure. I mean, that fireplace poker through the next sequence looks so realistic. Even in HD, where you can see the makeup lines, it still looks very good. The blood's the right color. And I... I, I kind of wonder how they did that effect. It's, it's just really well done. I should also mention the, the hilarious bat attack scene. And I love the reaction times of the characters who just seem to stand there and watch one another being thrashed by a wayward bat until they finally react to the bat. It's like there's like a 10 there, 15 second gap there. And of course, if you turn the whole Bob, Bob or Steve, Steve into a drinking game, you know, for variety, you can substitute the name shouting with all the close ups on inanimate objects and especially people's eyes. In fact, we see so many close-ups of uh, people's eyes that it actually kills the power of this later reveal in the sailor with a, a pair of glowing eyes. It doesn't have the same effect that it would if we didn't see all the close-ups on all the people's eyes throughout the movie. Um, I don't know. It really gets. It just really starts to feel like Fulci overall was given a decent chunk of change to work with. You know, he had some great locations and a a wonderful effects crew, and you know, even the cast is pretty game for the for this type of film. But he proceeded to make a movie of kind of otherworldly and unintentional hilarity, more so than a fully realized horror movie. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, depending on what kind of mood strikes you. But I'm not sure if I can recommend this as anything beyond camp, personally speaking. I like it a lot, don't get me wrong, but I see it as more of a burial ground type rather than, you know, a Gates of Hell type. But again, you know, nothing wrong with that. So, um, yeah, uh, I think I'll move on to... Hmm, between the two infamous Bobs, who do you prefer, Eric? <laughs> well, there's only one Bob for me, you know that. And that would be Senior Hoskins. Um, yeah, I I love House by the Cemetery, but for me, I don't think it's as much fun as the Beyond or City of the Living Dead. I think it lacks the fever dream vibe that those two films had going on that made them so incredibly unique and memorable because House by the Cemetery is has a much more coherent narrative for a Fulci film of this era. Uh, it's still fantastic, but it just, for me, it, it lacks that just WTF factor of the other two. Um, I would never have considered this a slasher film until you, um, you know, mentioned it to us a few weeks ago, uh, Joseph. I mean, but looking at it now, I mean, it, it does have pure slasher movie elements, um, you know, and it starts off with that canoodling couple um, being off in very gory circumstances um, in that house that looks like, you know, Justin's dream location, you know, because it's all dusty and cobwebby and gothic. Um, you know, it, it really takes the classic image of the haunted house and dials it up to 11. And, you know, everything's just smothered in cobwebs and there's tombstones and vintage, with vintage stones and crosses everywhere. And, um, you know, none of this modern day marble malarkey. It's real old school graveyards and haunted houses, um, but with a slasher twist. Um, for me, the bu the bubbing of Dob, that's not right. The dubbing of Bob is what I mean to say, is um, is actually one of the highlights of the film for me because I love the absurdity of it. Um, it's always, it's all, I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb, I'll admit. And if this was a really serious film, if this was like Schindler's List or Sophie's Choice or something, then yeah, it probably would be in the way. But I think we, we can get away with it in a Lucio Fulci kind of zombie slasher flick. Um that he opens his mouth at the very start where he's looking at that picture of the girl in the house and uh, I just fall around the place laughing every time he opens his mouth he says things and he, he starts a lot of his sentences with ah! 
Um, which nobody does. <laughs> um, you know, it's just purely unique for this, whoever this dubbing artist is. She needs a, a, a Golden Globe, in my I opinion. Had, sorry, Eric, I need to interrupt you for just a second. I had a note that I I kind of feel bad. At, I, was go, I was not going to read this out, but now that you mentioned he opens his mouth a lot, I, I had him kind of compared to Kanye West because he's always got his mouth hanging open. <laughs> <laughs> I said it there. There we go. House by the Cemetery and Kanye West in the same sentence. Mm. Um, I love the gore in the film as well. I mean, it's probably not as plentiful as in The Beyond or City of the Living Dead, but uh, it certainly is spectacular when it arrives. Like you said, you know, the bat attack, which is supremely bloody. Uh, the real estate agent, it gets menaced with, you know, the fire poker, whatever it is. You know, there's a lot of blood. The character of Anna, the babysitter who gets um, her head chopped off, um, her character is really odd. And Leo mentioned it. I mean, you know, she she's mopping up the blood on the floor and nobody sort of acknowledges it. And Norman finds her in the middle of the night taking these, um, moving, removing these planks of wood from the door of the attic so she can get access to it. And, or not the attic, the cellar. Uh, and nobody asks her what she's doing, <laughs> you know? It's just really weird behaviour and nobody acknowledges that it's really weird behaviour. And I love that. Um, you know, and uh, like she is, a, she's a very mysterious character. And the, the thing that kind of throws me off is that she's almost set up to be a kind of a villain in the film as if she's going to turn out to be in on the the killing in some way but she doesn't um it's just another fulci idiosyncratic touch i suppose that yeah uh, she gets one of the more horrific deaths too yeah and her death actually leads to my favorite bob line which is and mommy says you're not dead um <laughs> i'm sorry my voice is a bit croaky i can't go as high as bob at the moment yeah, I, I, I do love the film. It still has that Fulci strangeness to it. But at its core, it's kind of a monster in the basement kind of movie with the, all the usual cliches. Uh, but just given that weird Fulci twist. So I think it's really entertaining, really fun. My preference out of that sort of purple patch of, of Fulci's work, you know, from the late 70s to the mid 80s is uh, for The Beyond and City of the Living Dead, which I think are outstanding. Um, but this City is still... City of the Living Dead is uh, Gates of Hell, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one I like, The Gates of Hell. Yeah. yeah. It, which is really <laughs> strange, as is the beyond. Yeah. So, I mean, I do, I miss the really trippy dream logic approach of those films in, in this one. But uh, for what it is, I think it's it's still really, really good. So, excellent choice. Cool. Um, Nathan, what are your thoughts on House by the Cemetery? I love House by the Cemetery. I think this movie is fantastic. Um, to me, it feels like like a, a nightmare, like a lot of Fulci movies, you know, for me do. It's like his gore movies feel very nightmarish because um, it has that quality. You know, so there, there's that scene earlier on with the mannequin Anne, I guess, where the head falls off the mannequin. And- Anakin. Anakin. There you go. Oh, is that your joke of the week there, Eric? No, uh, it's actually better than my joke of the week. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, but like uh, like you guys, I was so confused by Anne at first because she seems so sinister and, and everything. But yeah, I mean, I guess not. Which, you know, I mean, I thought that was another cool little part of the film, actually. It's very um, bloody, which, you know, I, I prefer in my uh, slasher movies. I, I like that. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. And, I, you know, I like Catriona McCall a lot. And she was in, you know, Fulci's like three big, um, you know, I, I guess like kind of movies in this ilk like that we've talked about. 
And yeah, I thought that was, um, or I, I liked seeing her in these movies. I listened to her commentary just as an aside on the beyond. And it sounds like, you know, they had like, uh, fun making the, the film. So, you know, that's always good to hear, but, um, yeah, in, in the house by the cemetery, uh, um, I was kind of like you. I wasn't sure if I would call it a slasher, but then I'm like, well, maybe it is. I mean, it opens with your classic slasher setup, and then one poor character gets stabbed in the back of the head. Although it was great, like like um, Dr. Fruitstein did really good there when he stabbed like the blade like perfectly come through the mouth. I mean, mm. if you had a lot of practice coming through the mouth, Eric. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to even dignify that answer. It's so, so disgusting. How is Dr. Freudstein able to see? This is it. How is he able to breathe or smell? Because he, he's like he's reconstructed himself from all these people's parts, but he hasn't given himself eyes, nose or a mouth. Yeah. And he's just full of maggots. Yeah. I mean, come on, get somebody to do a proper job. I just I don't understand how he's able to go after these people. He's a, he obviously has been to the same optician as uh, Michael Myers at the after the end of Halloween, too. Ah, yes, yes. Somebody did some really good work back then, apparently, on uh, on these uh, killers. But um, I, I loved, yeah, I love the film, love the ending. Um, it's just a complete WTF, and I absolutely love those kind of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just can't say anything bad about it. Honestly, I loved every bit of it. So there you have it. Right. Well, I kind of, yeah, I do love these three uh, Lucio Fulci movies. Um, I would probably say that this is um, uh, the lesser of the three um, for me. I still kind of adore it. I mean, I, it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and I kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting with Lucio Fulci because he's such an interesting character because he had no interest in horror movies at all um, when he started out. Uh, and he kind of, not necessarily, a lot of Italian directors um, were kind of dilettante and they t- t- turned their hand to westerns, romances, historical dramas, whatever kind of came along um, as kind of jobbing directors. So uh, he kind of, um, so it's kind of interesting with this. It kind of, for me, I was just looking at it because this, where's this fall in the kind of the, the trilogy? It's the um, last. Last. last is it you're right yeah because it seems it seems to me almost like he's taken the note of uh, uh dario gento's inferno uh, obviously the, the sequel to superior which is in itself is is a fantastic movie i mean i think it's a better movie than this but it's it doesn't make a great deal of sense it can operates in its own kind of weird dream-like logic um and so it feels like fulci and whether or not Argento borrowed, you know, because I, I know City of the Living Dead was 1980, wasn't it? So I know they had a bit of a rivalry between, or friendly rivalry going between them. But um, it kind of works in that kind of that. It's kind of strange because it has that that feel that um, uh, you know it's kind of set in some kind of reality, uh, especially in the scenes in New York uh, to start off with, and also the kind of the more mundane scenes of Catriona McCall going shopping and the, in the town and everything. But it has the, once they get to the house, everything it's just like it's almost got this portal to this kind of weird sort of um, other world uh, when nothing quite makes sense and nobody really acts like they they should. 
um uh, you know it's it, it's it's full of like what the fuck reads it's you know the um the babysitter characters we mentioned uh, her actions seem to make no sense and it'd be interesting for us to actually discuss whether or not uh, you know what we actually think the whole thing means because the husband um you know there's a kind of plot point isn't there about the husband said he'd been to the house the librarian said he'd been to the house of his daughter um some years before yeah, I was going to ask: Did they ever? Did they ever resolve that plot point? Because I don't remember that. I was like, did I miss something at the end? Did they resolve that? Because he's asked it twice. Yeah, yeah. It also kind of reminds you, of like The Shining. Uh, that's I had read that someone had pointed that out in one of the articles I was reading. I was doing a little research. When when Jack's in the bathroom with Delbert Grady, like you know, there's that moment where like you know, is it, is it like another? You know what I mean? Like I, that's the connection I kind of saw too. Yeah, this, I saw kind of um, uh, contemporary reviews at the time compared it to The Shining uh, and also the Amateurville Horror as a kind of two two kind of touch points of where because obviously Fulci arguably well one of his best known was uh, Zombie Two or Zombie Zombie Flesh Eaters which of course wouldn't have happened without the success of George A. Romero's uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead. And so um, the kind of the kind of magpie nature of Italian filmmaking is kind of legendary. Um, so, but Fulci kind of makes stuff, you know, takes it and makes it his own, just like Argento did and other Italian directors did. But there definitely would have Fulci would have made this uh, with a view of kind of um, taking on some influences from uh, popular horror films at the time. Um, it's kind of it's interesting because I I was watching it and thinking what would have you know what would Fulci have done with a, a, a you know a, a completely a slasher movie and I'm an argue well not arguably New York Ripper is a kind of slasher movie but it's more of a kind of police procedural serial killer movie but um, the scene the opening scene reminded me of the uh, the opening scene in Superstition uh, kind of another kind of slasher movie that's kind of wrapped up in sort of supernatural shenanigans but yeah i wonder what thought you would have made if he'd actually gone straight ahead and tried to kind of do his version of friday 13th or halloween i think it'll um, probably be like skullduggery yes i think you're probably right i mean he's kind of obviously hedging his bets isn't he with the opening scene you feel if you only watch those five minutes of house by cemetery you think this is going to be you know complete early 80s slash movie um so, uh, but then he's got his, his zombies in there as well, because obviously that's what he was known for. So it's, um, it's kind of, uh, I, it's, you know, I, it's a kind of film that you kind of, it's not something you would, you, if you were introducing people to Italian horror, whether or not this would be the movie to do so, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Cause I'm just thinking a lot of people wouldn't really have looked past the kind of the idiosyncrasies, the, the bad dubbing and the nonsensical plot. But in a lot of ways, that is the beauty of the film. It, those things actually going to make it. Um, and I don't know whether or not Fulci actually even cared if the film made sense. I don't think he probably did. I think he was far more about the visuals, um, uh, you know, so these kind of plot points, because there's, there's various things and say the husband was um, supposedly this doppelganger of somebody who'd been, because I thought maybe he was a reincarnation or whatever of Dr. Freudstein. Maybe that's what, the, but it couldn't have been the case because the the guy who's speaking to him, because Freudstein presumably died back in Victorian times or became a zombie back then. So, that can make sense. Also, the babysitter stuff didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that the uh, um, uh, Lucy uh, Katarina McCall character didn't leave the house when she should and felt the whole place is really creepy, but still was quite happy to leave Bob there 
um, with the creepy babysitter who she said she didn't she say she, to her husband, oh, she's nuts or something. <laughs> and that's another way you can tell this is 1981. They leave Bob in the back of the seat of their car while they go get the yeah. keys to the to the house. I mean, just leave yeah. him sitting there. Well, they're yeah. not great Str- parents. Yeah, it's like, have they not heard of Stranger Danger? I mean, I know that's pretty much around the time of oh, that, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can tell from the off that it's not going to be like a normal type film because, you know, Bob's looking at talking to this picture, this little girl, ghost girl in a photo, and his mother just takes it as if it's a completely normal thing um, and doesn't question him about it at all. And I did, I don't know if you guys spotted the, um, again, of the typical, you know, wonderfully typical Italian move that uh, the, the cameo, the kind of Hitchcockian cameo that uh, Fulci had in this and like many of his films where he um, stands next to the bus talking to the father character. And on the bus, it's a J&B whiskey advert on the bus. Um, and it said, bizarrely, I wrote down, it said the thing, it was, it, uh, it says, give J&B, it whispers. <laughs> well, there's also a, uh, there's also a wine advert. So that whole bus was just like, a, a you know, waiting to crash. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. It's kind of, um, it is kind of like a fever dream, but I would still say uh, it's not as ambitious as the Beyond, um, and not as creepy as uh, City of the Living Dead. Uh, um, but uh, one thing we haven't mentioned, which I think the, the creepiest thing in the whole movie for me was Doctor Freudstein uh, crying like a child. That was the thing that always got me. Is you know, it's, it's just kind of really creepy because whether that is meant to mean that he's killed a child and taken on their voice. I, I don't know what that's supposed to indicate. Well, I hope he didn't take on the voice of whoever dubbed Bob. <laughs> you can imagine, yes. But it kind of, like, with the... Because whoever's going... It obviously makes sense if he's chopping off bits because when he goes up to kill Bob or he's going up the stairs with a knife, the the hand that's holding the knife is, is just, like, normal. It's not, you know, so he's got, like, a, a lovely hand. He could be a hand model. But uh, he hasn't obviously, um, you know, um, done anything with his face, as we mentioned. And then, of course, the whole ending is this kind of weird cyclical idea that, um, you know, you've got this little girl playing who's seemingly being able to transport herself between Victorian times and modern times. Um, So, again, it's uh, quite what American audiences or English audiences would have made of this at the time. I don't know. But... uh, I'm sure when we get some background, we'll we'll get some insight on that. But uh, yeah, well, thank you for picking it, Leo, because it's definitely been an interesting one to talk about. Yeah, no, I'm glad. Yeah, I, I love discussing it. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear all your opinions. They're all awesome on this. Um, you mentioned about the crying. You know, it kind of reminded me of um, an, uh, Mario Baba's Kill Baby Kill. Didn't that have like a crying, like in the background, sort of the same type of crying? Uh, I need to. I haven't seen that movie for such a long time. I need to rewatch it. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's always quite disconcerting, isn't it? That no, that noise anyway. Very off. Something's very off about it. But it's it, it works it, for me. It works. I don't know what it is. It's it, it, you know, it's just weird the way he puts this stuff together and seems to make it work in my eyes anyway. Excellent. Well, should we talk about some background? Uh, what have you got for us, Leo? All right, I have some things I won't hog up. I, you know, I took a lot of notes and stuff. I was um, I was going through a couple of. I have a couple of Fulci film books. Um, I have the uh, one by Stephen. Uh, is this Thrower? I think his name is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have that book. Unfortunately, I can't find it because I moved to a couple. I moved a year and a half ago, and I have like 
800 books that I need to get bookcases for some. They're all in boxes. <laughs> um, I did pull out Splintered Visions. Uh, There's a Troy Howard book just to skim through that a little bit. So um, it was filmed in uh, March 16th through May in 1981, eight weeks. Um, they did a couple weeks in the U.S., and in typical Fulci fashion, all the stuff in New York was shot without permits, just like zombie in New York. It's amazing how, uh, like now, you can't even imagine that even beginning to take place. Um, it also shot in Massachusetts. Um, they did the final six weeks. Uh, most of the interiors were done at the uh, De pa uh, Rome, the DePaulis Studios. Um, this is, you mentioned the bad attack. This is actually the second uh, bad attack. The first one, there was a scene in a lizard in a woman's, woman's skin. Another bad attack, just to throw that out there. Um, the opening scene, girl, um, I can't, these names are so hard to pronounce, uh, Daniela Doria. She's, this is a, she did three films with Fulci, and she's never survived any of them. Uh, she puked her guts up in City of the Living Dead. She suffocated to death in the Black Cat, and she was the mutilated prostitute in New York Ripper. Um, the Ellis Estate is the name of the house. It's in Massachusetts. It's still standing to this day. Um, it's 120 acres. It was built in 1830. And for me, the house is, itself is a character. I love the house. I would love to. You can actually visit it. It's like a museum now. And um, I also found out that um, Umberto Lindsay's uh, 1988 film Ghost House was also filmed there. I think some other films were filmed there, but I couldn't find anything else about what else might have been filmed there. Um, when we were talking about the um, the weird scene with the babysitter cleaning up the uh, blood, Katrina McCall had said that, you know, they shot, she said, I mean, everybody knows most films are filmed, you know, at a, they're never filmed in the order we, we they're, they're cut together, but, she said in this film, it seemed like they were cutting like even more around where it, it, when she looks at it, she kind of laughs because she said, you know, probably it was probably done like something in the beginning, then something towards the end, which means, you know, that's why it looks like looking so weird. And she also found that a very amusing. Um, the father, played by Piello Marco, is um, also a New York Ripper. Um, him and Fulci became really good friends. You know, Lucio Fulci had this reputation. He was a more like a bully on set. He would bully the actors. Um, he would yell a lot. Um, but when uh, Mark uh, Paolo got to set, you know, he was he was taken aback and he saw the way he was treating people. Then he started, you know, bullying him. He said, look, he said, you're either going to cut the shit or I'm going to get on a play. I'm walking off the set. And then the next day, Fulci was the total 160. You know, he was friendly to him and they actually remained friends uh, right up to the time he died. Um, he had some... Uh, bad health problems toward the end of his life. Um, he was actually in the hospital when he, um, <clears throat> he was having a, a heart surgery and he, uh, he said he, they remained friends. They used to eat together. They would cook meals together and their families were pretty close. So that was nice to see. Um, Sylvia Catalina, uh, I think that's how I said her, the play in May. Um, she, I read a couple things. She said she loved being on set. You know, she was constantly coached. Um, she said Fulci was nice to her. He was really nice to her. And um, Giovanni Frezza, who played Bob, um, she said, you know, that she had no problems with him and she liked him a lot. Um, speaking of Bob, uh, he quit acting. You know, he did do a couple other movies. Um, he, some of them were uncredited, though. Um, I see that it was uh, he played, I think, the character Kirk in Demons, which I do remember him in that. And he was also in, uh, I think, Manhattan Baby as well. Um, he, uh, like I said, he quit acting. He actually got a degree in physics and he lives in Chicago right now and he's very successful. Um, he's, he's like the director of a, a big firm.
and um, doing really well. Um, it was also oh, the uh, in the beginning yeah. of Blade in the Dark as well. I was just I just saw that at the bottom of the thing, which is it's coming up for you guys, correct? Yeah, we did a commentary for that for uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, Anna Annie uh, Pironi, who played Anne, um, she was also in Inferno, and she was the shoplifter in Tenebrae, I believe. And I I, I asked Joseph this. I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same actress. Um, Eric, is it Dagmar Lassender? That's the one from Werewolf Woman, right? Oh, yeah. That is, that's Daniela, isn't it? Yeah. <gasps> I for, oh, I need to rewatch this then. She's the real estate agent, is she? Yes. She was also in A Hatchet for the Honeymoon um, that's, uh, way back when, and then she was oh. also in Fulci's Black Cat and a movie called Forbidden Photos of Above Suspicion. That's a jally, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate you, you whore! There you go. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the cinematography, which I think is excellent in this movie, um, Sergio Savati, this is their 10th collaboration. Um, you know, Fulci pretty much used the same crew, just like Roger Corman did. You know, that's why I think some of these films are, have like such similar looks and they have the same type atmosphere. Cause apparently I guess with the tech side, you know, Fulci didn't really, you know, argue with these people as much. Although I did read that the, uh, one of the writers, they have a bit of a falling out. The guy also did some work. This is one writer. I can't remember his name at the moment, but um, he uh, also worked with Argento and he seemed to say like, you know, oh, that he goes, well, I wrote the story. They just filmed what I wrote. Like, so there was like this bitter thing with this, this one writer. Um, the screenplay originally was called House of Fre- House of Freudstein. I don't know if that was a, supposed to be like House of Frankenstein, like a universal monsters connection. And, um, in Italy, the film was called That Hotel Near the Swamp. Now, that sounds like a strange title, but I read that the reason why they went with that title was because Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive was very popular in Italy. So, um, that, and that, you know, I guess they felt that that was, you know, a way to attract people. As I said, like Justin had said, the Italians were famous for, you know, pillaging all the stuff to make, you know, make these movies. Um, the, the screenwriter also, um, he uh, had a huge career. He did great movies, uh, Killer Crocodile 1 and 2, The Church. He was on credit on, he did Demons 1 and 2, Body Count, Blade in the Dark. He also had an uncredited, which is, I thought was very strange, um, for Amityville Horror 2. I, I, I wish I wrote the guy's name down. I'm sorry I didn't, but I thought that was kind of odd, too. Um, and like I said, he had a big falling out with, uh, you know, with Fulci at the end anyway. Um, so yeah, thinking of going back to that, uh, the, what you would call it, the shining thing. Um, the person I, I, I read this, the, this article I had read that said that that was a huge movie at the time. And like Justin said, so was Amityville Horror. And I guess, you know, it shows that Fulci definitely had his, you know, pulse on the pop culture of the time. And, you know, he was conscious of it. So I think that's why some of these things seem to make sense. Also like, you know, Jack Torrance went, you know, he was down on his luck. He needed the money. And the, the the father in the house by the cemetery even says at the beginning, like when uh, Catriona doesn't want to go, he's like, "Well, look, it's five thousand dollars. At least we'll be able we'll be able to decorate the whole apartment." So, and they're also doing research. Jack Torrance doing research. So I, I can kind of see that. I can kind of see that. Um, and also uh, the axe in the door. I guess when uh, he tries to bust Bob out of the thing, it's a hatchet, but you just still see the blade go through the door, just like the famous scene from the uh, The Shining. So. Um, I do have some other stuff, but I don't want to hog it all, so that's all I can give you for now. 
Excellent. Well, thank you, Leo. So uh, who else has got something? Uh, Eric, have you got anything? Um, I had everything that Leo had. <laughs> of uh, course. And, well, I'll just mention... I will just mention that I was just I have that book as well, Leo. The it's called Beyond Terror: The Films of Lucio Fulci by Stephen Thrower, and he has a it's kind of index at the back. Uh, well, it's uh, a bibliography or whatever it is at the back, telling you the release dates of all his films. And between August nineteen eighty and August nineteen eighty one, he released uh, five films. Uh, House by the Cemetery was the last one. The first was Contraband in on August the eighth, nineteen eighty. City of the Living Dead on August the eleventh, nineteen eighty. Three days later, uh, Black Cat came out on the fourth of April, nineteen eighty one. The Beyond on the twenty ninth of April, nineteen eighty one, and House by the Cemetery on the fourteenth of August, nineteen eighty one. So it was filmed in March and April of eighty one in New England, and then the interiors were filmed uh, at studios in Rome. But uh, yeah, that's all I have for background. Apart from everything Leo said and everything you're about to say, Justin. Of course, of course. Uh, well, thank you, Eric. Uh, Nathan, how about you? No. <laughs> Nathan, you're supposed to say you you had everything that Leo said. No. Well, I mean, I did, but um, I also, like you, I have everything that Justin's about to say, and yeah. I don't want to take that away from him. I know, because we're so kind. So I was just about to say Toya is one of the worst things I've ever heard. I can't believe you said that, Nathan. No, I... <laughs> Justin, how could you? Yeah, Justin, lowering yourself. So, Joseph, how about you? Yeah, I remember um, I remember owning the old Vestron VHS that was released back in 1984. And reportedly it was released with reels out of order. So one character would die and then show up very much alive later in the film. I don't quite recall ever actually watching that particular tape you know my vague memories are of watching the vipco release from the early 90s when i first saw it so i i did own the vestron version but i don't think i ever watched it so if if any of you guys own that tape maybe you can confirm but um i did eventually um unfortunately sell that tape which is you know worth a lot of money now um, uh, trailers for Curtains and the House on Sorority Row, a company house by the cemetery on that Vestron release, apparently. Um, as mentioned previously, that fantastic TV spot you heard or saw, if you're watching this on YouTube, was narrated by Brother Theodore. You know, he's that curmudgeonly, uh, diminutive grump, most notable for his role as Ruben Klopek in 1989's The Burbs. A uh, personal favorite of mine, and um, he had lent his uh, his kind of stern voice to a lot of those trailers back in the day. And that TV spot in particular has always been one of my favorites. Um, the uh, House by the Cemetery apparently had a budget of um, about seven hundred grand in U.S. dollars. Um, in Italy, the film grossed um, one billion four hundred and seven million nine hundred eighty one thousand two hundred ninety seven lira making it Fulci's most financially successful horror film of the 80s, in Italy at least. Um, and it looks like it grossed over a million and a half in U.S. territories. I mean, one of you guys might can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but um, the uh, 1,407,000,000 lira, whatever, totals out to just under 800,000 U.S. dollars. So it appears to have kind of broken even in Italy rather than being this huge you know, profitable machine, but, you know, maybe his earlier films there just didn't do all that well. And they were just kind of happy to break even, but, um, uh, with the U S gross combined and I'm sure worldwide it, the, the film did turn a healthy, healthy profit. But, um, yeah, that's all the background I have. Justin, take it away. 
Okay, well, I've got a few bits that um, I, obviously uh, a lot of it's already been covered, but uh, I did look at some reviews um, from the time, and as you probably can guess, they weren't particularly uh, glowing. Um, the uh, Bill Kelly in South Florida Sun Sentinel said, uh, and this is from one of the things as I mentioned. It, this it was released in Italy in 1981, as has already been mentioned, but it didn't get its US release until late 1984 through to 1985. So a good four years, three four years after it being made. But um, so for its uh, Florida release in December of 1984. Bill Kelly said, uh, cemetery predictably, predictably high in blood and violence. Uh, he criticised uh, Lucio Fulci and said he wasn't able to get good performances out of his actors, but he did praise the cinematography, which he said was crispy, well, sorry, crispy, crisp, moody and fluid. Um, the, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, uh, another review from the, in the Hattiesburg Americans said, uh, the house by the cemetery is bottom of the barrel filmmaking and should be avoided at all costs. So I'm sure that was one used on the uh, on the box release. But um, um, Malcolm L. Johnson in the Hartford Courant led with chaotic cemetery is a mess of blood, bones and banality. Um, and uh, the I found a, a review from August 81 in La Stampa, which was uh, an Italian newspaper. Um, and it said, Director Fulci, our local Gothic film director, demonstrates the preliminary dexterity of making a shocking horror story visually effective. Um, but otherwise wasn't a very good review and it criticized something which I know is kind of a bit of a bet noir of yours Joseph isn't it it's the kind of um the constant putting the child in peril yeah I find that kind of cheap I mean it's not like I I care you know something like Rawhead Rex where it's just so sudden and unexpected and I know that's kind of the wrong movie to use considering how bad that movie is but where they do it in Rawhead Rex, where it's sudden and unexpected, I kind of, I, I, you know, I like it. But when they set a kid up to be just in constant danger of being killed or something, it just feels, I don't know, it feels cheap. Like they, they couldn't figure out a better way to do it. Like they couldn't figure out a better way to wring suspense out of something. Hmm. Well, that was something that yeah, they, they picked up in that review. But uh, uh, the film obviously got, um, one of the things I think, did we mention about it? It obviously became... Uh, an infamous video nasty, didn't it, in the UK? Mm, it did. Um, and uh, it was one of the, although I think it was, because um, it was released in the UK cinemas in um, October of 1982, so like a, a year after it being out in, in Italy. Um, but it was actually cut, uh, the cinema release was cut, um, I'm not sure by how much, Um but uh, well, the hmm. uh, the Vestron tape was cut by three minutes, so that's probably what it was cut in U.S. cinemas as well. Right. Okay. Because it said uh, it was uh, it was placed on the video nasties list. Um, uh, it was uh, even though the 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 version which I used to have, I used to have the Vamp- I think it was on Vampix. I think it was Vampix label, uh, like a pre-cert of it, and that was that was it was so the pre-cut version was banned uh in in the uk and then when it was re-released uh in uh, home video in 1988 uh, i had four minutes and 11 seconds of the film cut uh and so it was only um it was only released uncut in the uk in 2009 i think probably on the the arrow release but the film had a kind of a bit of renaissance with critics um i found a, a kind of a mini review of uh, the showing on Film 4, there's a kind of UK uh, digital channel here from 2010, and the Sunday Telegraph uh, called it a masterpiece of its type. 
Um, and lastly, uh, there's the Barbara Crampton film, We Are Still Here, uh, directed by Ted uh, Geohegan. It's Gagan. Gagan. Oh, Gagan. Yeah. Okay. That's the dude I used to, he, uh, he used to run the Diabolical Dominion with me and Patrick back in the 90s. Ah, okay. And we okay. actually will be covering We Are Still Here on Patreon somewhat soon. Well, he said that uh, the film We Are Still Here was heavily influenced by The House by the Cemetery. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so that's all I have. All of Fulci's movies must have ended up on the video nasty list, right? Right, all of them? Uh, yes. Most well, zombie, of them, yeah. Most of them. I mean, Zombie Flesh Eaters was probably one, the most, one of the most notorious ones. Um, the New York Ripper wasn't allowed in the country, so he didn't get a, didn't get a video release. Yeah, it couldn't be banned because it was never released, so it didn't make that list. I think it was kind of, um, I mean, back then, I know I know. infamously um, the BB, BBFC uh, ordered, I think it was uh, uh, Maniac with Joe Spinell, uh, the Bill Lustig movie, to be escorted out of the country. Um, so the Beyond got a cinema release in the UK, a uh, heavily truncated version. And I think that got us, uh, that, uh, I think that, no, that did get banned as well. So Yeah, it was, that was a section two one. Right, yeah. So all of those kind of, and obviously the uh, City of the Living Dead, uh, the Gates of Hell, was another one. So yeah, he was probably, I, I imagine he probably was a director with the most video nasties on that list, I would think. You know, he was making back in the late 60s, early 70s. I mean, he was doing the Jali like one on top of another with Marissa Mel and uh, John Sorrell. And uh, and then, of course, um, Elizabeth in the Woman's Skin is kind of, um, and uh, Don't Torture a Duckling is kind of where that kind of gore, the kind of um, the, the, the kind of extreme gore thing started coming through, which obviously found an audience. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I must admit, I'm not a huge fan of um, his later films. You know, uh, after um, I have got uh, Demonia on uh, Blu-ray, which I haven't seen for a long time. But I, I've told this story before, but I'd say to mention again that I think it was, is it Demonia or is that the one with the um, the, the nuns and the, the slugs on the face or the snails on the face? That's Enigma. Enigma is the one with the snails on the face. Oh, Enigma. Yeah. Because that was the one that I, uh, I think I, I'm sure I said before that I rented from a video shop um, and the whole family watched it, including my grandmother. And then <laughs> oh, I was told I was not allowed to rent anything else ever again for the family. <laughs> so, so um, okay. Well, uh, what was the consensus on the group, Joseph? Well, a fairly impressive 48 comments for Fulci. That's what I like to see. Um, Alex Bovenstein from Instagram writes, For a movie about a house where everyone who enters gets brutally murdered, I find this to be extremely cozy to watch. Also, Bob is an absolute delight. Um, Ingo Dirk Schneider from Facebook says... Seen it many times, doing my best to like it, but something's amiss with it for me. Maybe it's the poor dialogue, maybe it's the frantic storytelling, or something completely different, I don't know. Can't fault its moody and atmospheric sets, though. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, stay up to date on what we're doing. Listen on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and about a billion other podcatchers, both good and terrible. Join us on Patreon for as little as $1, and there's a tier system in place that will grant you uh, access to a veritable cavalcade of uh, bonus shows and commentaries. That's patreon.com forward slash the hysteria continues, all one word. Um, Our email address for feedback and you know, that general nonsense is also 
the hysteria continues all one word at gmail.com. That's our email address that we never get feedback sent to. So that's the hysteria continues at gmail.com for feedback. That's the hysteria <laughs> continues. <laughs> it's like happy death day. Emails so uh, so last century. It is. It's so antiquated. I'm surprised we actually get feedback at all when we do. Honestly, well, hopefully we get. We have got some for the next show or the previous show because we're doing a bit of time travel, recording things slightly out of whack. But I know we do have some feedback, haven't we? Yes. Yeah. On, on we, the last we show, did, so we did have some feedback. We did have yes. some feedback, yeah. but. Um, and I've, this remains just to apologise uh, to Leo for this. It's my joke of the week. It's so, so fantastic. What happens if you move into a house by a cemetery? You put yourself in grave danger. Grave danger. I, I have had a lot of time to... I have had a lot of time this week. Well, he, he warned us ahead of time, so. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. No, I liked it, just, actually. I Eric. thought it was quite a good, good one. Good, yeah. Eric, it wasn't a bad joke, but you can do better. Violence and perfume. That's all I've got to say. See, you went for the low-hanging fruit. Mm. It was low-hanging fruit, but I couldn't think of any puns for Giovanni Frezza. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Maybe he's about as bland as a fresca. What's a fresca? Is that a drink? It's like a ginger ale or something. What can I add to that? Not much apart from what are we well, covering next time? I totally all the energy out of the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what are we covering next time? It's Nathan's pick next yeah, time. Yeah, Nathan. And I actually have no idea what he's going to pick for once. Holy cow. I didn't realize it was already back to me. I feel like I just picked. Um... Well, you did, because we're recording my pick next, but it'll be out before this one, oh, if you yeah. follow me. okay, yeah, you're right. The time travel thing, the time travel yeah. thing. Um, Joseph, God, there he- was a certain sequel that you uh, were having me hold off on picking, but if you're not going to pick it, then I'm picking it. Well, what is it? Sleepaway Camp 3. Why was I having you hold off on that? I don't remember, but you said that somebody, I don't know if it was like a pick that someone had, kind of like what Leo did or what, but I've been wanting to cover it, but I held off because you were going to pick it. I don't see Sleepaway Camp 3 anywhere. Um, I would never pick it because honestly, I don't care for the Sleepaway Camp sequels, but have at it. Okay. Yeah. It's in my top 10. So yeah, Sleepaway Camp 3. Okay, I think what the actual thing was, we were trying to get to, uh, get you to hold off picking anything, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> you will love this film, I promise. I've seen it already, and I know I won't. Oh, you'll love oh, it on yeah. this viewing. Okay, well, let's see. So, uh, well, yeah. Well, next time we'll come back with uh, back with Angela back to camp, and uh, and look forward to having you back on the show, Leo. So, uh, thank you for sparking lots of healthy debate. Uh, and hope you enjoyed uh, returning. Yes, I always enjoy returning, guys. I appreciate all of you and appreciate your time. And thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Mm, so, thank you, uh, Leo. Yes, thank you. And what are we playing out with? Well, for shits and giggles, uh, we're going to play out with The House by the Cemetery by Mortician. That's not really my thing. But for all of you Cookie Monster fans out there, here's The House by the Cemetery by Mortician. Is it something to the Muppets? 
Uh, it's a death metal band. Uh, uh, I think okay. it's the song is actually inspired by the film, so why not? Okay. Well, we shall see. So, again, well, thank you for listening to The Hysteria Continues. And thank you for everyone who supports us through Patreon. Got lots of exciting things coming up. Uh, and uh, also, yeah, we've got some, some other uh, commentaries that we're nailing down uh, shortly. So we'll let you know what those are when we can. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. And, again, thanks to Leo. And uh, say goodbye to the good people. Bye. Enjoy Mortician. Bye. Enjoy. Enjoy. I don't know what. <laughs> Goodbye. Freudstein's house draws me like an infernal magnet and frightens me. How many have wandered innocently into the waiting spider web? How many more are doomed to follow? smell of the rooms terrifies me and lures me on. The smell of blood. 